delays kill deals, right? That's a, it's an equity drag. It, it reduces your returns. It impacts your ability to fundraise. It impacts, you know, your ability to give uh, our investors or institutional investors the confidence they need to deploy capital in the space. It's everything. Hi everyone, thank you for joining us today. We have a very, very special guest, Adrian Broca, who is the CEO at Fitzrovia Real Estate. Now, I know you're very busy, you're doing great things at Fitzrovia. So thank you very much, Adrian, for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you, Matteo, for having me. That's great. So Adrian, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a bit of my background. So I uh, graduated in the early 2000s from the Western Business School of Ivy. I uh, really started off in investment banking as an M&A banker at Credit Suisse First Boston during the first Boston days. I was two years in Toronto, two years in London, England. And then I, uh, you know, that really brought me into the principal investing space of the private equity space. I joined a Wall Street firm called Apollo. I was there for five years on their pan-European fund base out of London, England. Uh, I was investing as far as Russia, down to Turkey. I did multifamily in Germany. Uh, I did uh, some distressed land positions in around Spain, an office portfolio in Switzerland, condo strategy in London. Uh, really amazing experience. I would say professionally and personally, it was very formative for me. Uh, both my wife and I were born and raised in Toronto. We had our uh, first child of four beautiful children, uh, and her name was uh, is Addie, and she was born in London. It was just time to move back home. Our social network, our family, uh, are all based in Toronto. I just think there's no better place to raise a family than Toronto. So moved back in 2013 to join a company called Tricon Capital. Uh, at Tricon, I started their purpose-built rental division in Canada from scratch. I built out their development management team, their asset management team. We had about a half a billion in development across three projects. So the Selby, the Taylor, and the James. And then I also started and ran their manufactured housing group over in the U.S. So we were buying parks in around the Phoenix MSA and up and down California. We then sold that to Blackstone. Uh, they wanted to simplify the corporate story. And they just, you know, got the point in my career where, you know, I just wanted different things. I, I uh, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, unfortunately at the time, fortunately looking back, I got let go from Tricon. It's just very different from uh, the, the CEO and, you know, we weren't on the same page, uh, but very, you know, thankful of him putting me in the position to run their purposeful rental platform because the light bulb went off and I was extremely passionate about the business, about the sector, about the asset class, uh, and always had an entrepreneurial bug. And so, you know, I really had to kind of figure it out. And I said, if, if I'm not going to start my business today or a business today, it's going to get increasingly more difficult. Use this as a blessing. And so I started Fitzrovia six and a half years ago uh, with uh, some great partners at Centerport Development. Uh, so Andrew Hoffman and Steve Bellevue and Shemez Varani uh, were the original partners, and that's expanded to their current partners, say, with Derek and, and Gavin uh, Chung. Um, you know, the, the intention was to initially, Centerport was going to build out a rental division. I said, well, I want to start my own business. Why don't you kind of vend in a couple assets and we'll be your you know, your de facto rental partner uh, in partnership with this standalone entity. And that's exactly what we did. Uh, and since then, we 
Uh, I've been Canada's largest purposeful rental developer. Uh, we don't know anyone that's developing more rental than we are across Canada. We have eight and a half thousand units in development. We have 9.1 billion of assets under management. We work on behalf of large pension plans and public institutions. Uh, we have three principal strategies. Number one is our your, our core strategy, which is we call it de developed a core class A strategy. Uh, so that's buying, you know, kind of you know, land downtown, uh, building, you know, kind of luxury or quality rental buildings and holding them long term that are, you know, highly amenitized, highly programmed. The second strategy is centered around student housing. Uh, we have a very successful uh, Waverly uh, deal at the, the northwest corner of College and Spadina. Uh, we have a wait list to get in that building. We don't really market anymore. And so we want to put a Waverly in five core student housing markets, uh, plus uh, directly adjacent to TMU. And so we're actively working on that strategy. And then lastly, we're just about to launch a, a new brand called the Maddox. And the Maddox is really a vintage play. Uh, so it's called a four plus value add. We're buying older apartments or you know, apartments built in the last five to 10 years, but need to be repositioned and, and can be repositioned over time. Uh, and so we are managing about $500 million worth of assets right now. Uh, we have another uh, two properties under contract in that space. So we want to actively grow that over, you know, the next kind of five to 10 years. That's going to be a core vertical for us where we feel confident that we're going to be able to raise, you know, really great capital around it. That's amazing. Well, congrats on being the largest purpose-built rental under development right now. That's very good. Yeah, thank you. We have a fantastic team. You know, I'm very fortunate every day to come into the office and work alongside a group of people that are incredibly dedicated, that have a strong sense of purpose, uh, that come to work every day to really make a difference. Like We all share a common fabric and common DNA of you know, really wanting to move the needle and reimagine, you know, rental living and, and, you know, create a future product around rental living. And we think we have the blueprint to, to get that done. We have to continue to innovate. And, and, you know, we certainly think we have the culture and the DNA to do that. Um, but we have to continue to push ourselves to, to do that. That's very good. Uh, you mentioned that when you worked in Europe, you invested as far as Russia. What was that like? I'm curious. Yeah, look, it was uh, it was interesting. I actually invested in Russia and Ukraine. Um, it was it's a very different way of doing business. A little colder initially. Um, you know, I'm generally a warmer person. I like to chat. I, you know, I like to get to know someone. I would say you know those 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 kind of common business you know characteristics that apply in North America and Europe you know it's just a different way to do business there so you have to really you know get to know someone but once you get to know someone they're actually quite warm and and uh, you know it's a really interesting experience I'd say geopolitical risk was definitely a lesson learned in those markets uh, how quickly foreign capital comes in and out of those out of those markets I thought was really interesting that was very much a lesson learned in 2007 eight nine through the, the uh, GFC. Um, you know, I'd say the, your ability to, to, you know, move through your approvals and get your technical conditions in a place like Ukraine was, was very, very difficult. Um, but I, you know, take a lot of that to how we operate today and, you know, being patient and creating really strong relationships with all three levels of government and, you know, them having a vested interest in our success. And we apply that every single day, working with the city of Toronto, working with the province or working with the feds. Oh, wow. So this is a great segue. So on a panel discussion, you had mentioned that uh, there needs to be a culture 
change at the city level regarding real estate development. Could you elaborate more on that? Yeah, like I would say historically, there's been an I can't if it falls outside of a certain box. I can't do this. I can't do that. You know, it's not policy. There's no precedent for it. You know, I, I do see that there is a change that's happening. Uh, they're much more receptive to, you know, to density in certain areas, to thinking a little bit more outside of the box. If you have to do a minor variance on a setback or, you know, kind of change the way we look at heritage to a degree. You know, we very much respect heritage, but I think, you know, you can't you can't just put a line in the sand. There's lots of different ways to get from X to Y. And sometimes it's not in a straight line. Sometimes you got to meander to get there. Uh, and, you know, we you know, we think the, the city is definitely trending in the right way, but there still requires a culture change. Like it's very difficult to change culture that's been so entrenched for a long time. Um, but I, I think there's been some major strides made by you know city leadership. And, and you know, we, we want to continue to work alongside them to do that. And that, by the way, is not a political answer, although it sounds like it. I will be the first to say. You know, I've been very public saying I'm unhappy historically of the way the city is operated, but I definitely see it trending in the right direction. So what, what is it going to take to move the needle further in terms of culture change at the city level? It's along the lines that I just mentioned, right? It's thinking outside the box. It's, you know, it's being able to recruit young talent that is more open-minded, that's not as entrenched with the old regime. It's, uh, it, you know, it's it's really understanding what makes developers tick or development work and worthwhile, especially in today's market. You know, how do we partner and collaborate versus be a counterparty on a particular site, I think is really important. And I'm seeing a lot of that discussion today. Like, I can't tell you how different the discussions are today from what it was two, three years ago. Like, there's been a definitely a shift change, and I'd love to see, you know, it go all the way. Um, but we're, like I said, we're trending in the right direction. Okay, no, that's very good. And if you had to describe the real estate market for 2023 in one word or one sentence, what would you say? I would just say unstable. Uh, you know, there's a lot of fear and capital on the sidelines. People, they have, you know, have no idea where interest rates were going. Well, they, everyone, everyone, you know, thought interest rates were going to continue to to move upwards, but not to the degree it accelerated, and that caught a lot of people by surprise. Uh, you know, we are seeing some optimism come back into the market. If you look at the Ford yield curve, it's trending downwards and interest rates are seemingly settling down. We'd love to see them settle more down and give people a little more of a, uh, you know, of an open window as to what, you know, what's going to happen in the next six to 12 months. Uh, you know, there's been a number of economists that are, you know, forecasting some pretty, you know, some some pretty direct uh, interest rate um, reductions over the next three to six months. We think it's probably going to be a little longer than that, um, but we think it's definitely trending in light with the forward curve. And and you know, we are ready to you know acquire assets that make sense for us long term. That could be land positions. That could be IPP income producing property. Uh, we believe in the long term macro story in Canada with immigration. You know, the stats that has been well publicized, everyone knows what, what those immigration targets are going up 30 percent over the next three years and structural vacancy remaining really low um, that you have to be decisive in this market if you have access to capital, which we fortunately, fortunately do. Uh, so we will continue to acquire selectively. We will be very disciplined in this market. Um, you know, there's, I think, 87 deals in the last seven months that we looked at and mentioned at the real estate forum. You know, we're, we have one under contract. We're looking at one other. 
uh, right now. We're just being very, very selective. But what we do, it's these are high quality sites that are structured really well, uh, where we could use our opportunistic buckets of capital to generate outsized returns in this market. That's very good. So in your statement about what economists are forecasting, it seems like part of you agrees with Bentel and part of you not so much. Yeah, like, look, Ben Tell's been, you know, it speaks at every real estate forum and conference uh, in terms of opening remarks or, you know, economic forecasts. Uh, you know, he's, he'd be the guy I'd point to. He's an incredible speaker and uh, very astute, smart, smart guy. Um, you know, I, do I think it's we're going to see cuts as quickly as he's forecasting? Like, it'd be great. I hope so. I just, you know, we're not we're not preparing for that. Uh, but I, I do think interest rates are trending in, in that direction. And, you know, we will continue to, you know, buy deals, but we're going to underwrite interest rates and cap rates conservatively, because I just think in this market, you just absolutely need to do that. You know, we are always relatively conservative, uh, even when times were good. Uh, you need to be increasingly conservative in this market and, and take your shots as and when they present themselves. Okay. That's very good. And you had talked about how that uh, fortunately you have access to capital. How do delays or red tape in the real estate development process impact meeting targets for your real estate fund commitments, if any? Yeah, look, they, they do. Like delays kill deals, right? That's a, it's an equity drag. It, it reduces your returns. It impacts your ability to fundraise. It impacts you know, your ability to give uh, our investors or institutional investors the confidence they need to deploy capital in the space. It's everything. Our speed of execution generates a lot of return in alpha for us. Uh, we are very focused on the way we set up our firm to move quickly through the development cycle. Once we buy a site, we want to be in the hole in nine, 10 months. We want to, you know, be at the bottom hole putting up a crane in 11 to 12 months. Uh, and, you know, we want to be cash flowing in three to three and a half years, plus or minus, right, depending on the size of the building. That's really our sweet spot. Uh, and, you know, thus far, we've hit all those metrics and we've generated the right return profile to raise further capital to invest in the housing sector. With that, whether it's uncertainty or just undue delay, uh, it really hurts returns and impacts returns. And we just cannot raise capital uh, like we have if, if you know, that were to happen in the market. Now, you know, we've taken on some complicated projects that require a lot more collaboration with the city. We're definitely seeing them engage and help, uh, but it requires a partnership. It requires teamwork to get it done. Okay. You said something very interesting. You mentioned that uh, when you secure a site, when you purchase a site, you like to have a shovel in the ground uh, nine to 12 months or less than a year, it seems. Yeah, very much. Right. So we're, we would typically we have bias. We'll do unzoned sites. We've done a number of unzoned sites and took it through the entitlement phase. Uh, but typically, we're buying fully zoned sites where you know we could design the box. We have a very specific playbook and framework uh, in terms of how we want to lay out our suites, how we want to lay out our uh, you know our, our property management office, our mini programming, our facades. Uh, and then get construction at the table. We're fully vertically integrated. So we develop construct asset property manage entirely in house. So we can have all four service verticals at the table uh, through the design development process to be as efficient as possible. And then we work hand in hand with the city to pull our permits and our trade contractors to, to get work done and get work done expeditiously. Because uh, if we could cash flow a year, a year and a half early, well, that drives a lot of return just from an IR perspective. So that's, that's what we focus on, the speed. Okay, that's very good. So two more questions for you, Adrian. It seems that you only develop real estate in Toronto. Do you plan on developing multifamily 
housing outside Toronto? Yeah, so we will eventually develop in Montreal. Right now, the Montreal uh, office is focused on IPP, so all income producing property that's core, core plus value add. Uh, we are going to be developing in a strong secondary university markets so outside of the GTA. So, you know, places like London, Kitcher, Waterloo, Guelph, Hamilton, Kingston uh, will be our first entry point outside of the GTA into development. And then eventually we'll, we'll be in Vancouver as well, whether that's a combination of joint ventures with local developers or organically build out our platform over there. Uh, that's all, you know, TBD. It's something we're kind of working through. But our focus right now is getting the secondary student housing strategy right and getting Montreal right. Okay, that's very good. And the last question for you, uh, Adrian, what's new and not worthy at Fitzrovia that people may not know about? So we talked about Vancouver, uh, which I'm starting to be a little more public on. I'd love to be in back in my old roots in London, England in you know six, seven years. Uh, we think we have a blueprint that lends itself really well to that market and a really great network of relationships uh, that we could tap into. We've also partnered with a really amazing you know kind of startup operator called Seeker Labs. Uh, so they're a life science partner, and we are creating a residential program that's adjacent to their innovation centers. Uh, so that's something we we haven't formally launched to the market, but uh, you will hear more of that in the in the coming months. Wow, that's interesting. So you mentioned the labs there, the life sciences. What made you make that decision? It sounds interesting. Um, look, I'd say culturally, uh, Seeker Labs is very similar to us. Um, so it's always you know a partner first. To, you know, what does that partner look like, and and you know, do we get along? And they're just they're really really great people and support their vision and what we're doing. I also think it's an incredible theme that's happening right now that's attracting a lot of institutional capital. And we think the adjacent residential play uh, to that type of product is a natural fit, uh, especially what we're doing in, in our class A or what we call the collection uh, space. We think it's a, it's a direct fit and you will see a first deal that we're gonna be rolling out in Kitchener-Waterloo at, at some point um, that really speaks to that as a great case study. Wow. That's very good. Well, Adrian, this has been a great conversation. I know, yeah, well, you have to run, obviously, you're very busy, but uh, thank you very much for taking the time. Um, so much insight here. I have to go back and listen for sure. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you for having me, Mateo. All the best. Thank you very much. Thanks. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye.